Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Seltzer Kings Podcast Network, in cooperation with Fast Eddie's Podcast Hut, present Spooktacular 2020, a celebration of the macabre and the infantile. The horror. The The following podcast contains... You used to be a kind, loving man, and now you're a foul-mouthed monster! Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you let me live for seven years in the hotspot of one of the strangest disappearances in American history and you never even told me? What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 282, Play Me Some Mountain Madness Part 1, part of the Spooktacular 2020, where we talk about the mysterious disappearance of the Yuba County Five. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Yuba City Tourism Board, who wants you to know there's slightly less meth than you think there is. California is full of natural wonders and exciting cities, and while driving to them, why not stop for gas or something to eat in beautiful Yuba City? From our scenic riverfront to the Walmart on the west side of town, Yuba City is full of things to see and do, like visit the Sutter County Museum and see some things from the gold rush that we were peripherally involved in, or the beautiful Bokai Temple, which actually isn't in Yuba City, but it's really close by. Dine in our restaurant district, conveniently near Highway 99 and Highway 20, going to more exciting places in California, we have an Applebee's and a Fuddruckers. Celebrate America by watching America's heroes from nearby Beale Air Force Base buy beer and head home to their off-base apartments. Truly, Yuba City is a sight to behold while you're on your way to somewhere much, much more interesting. Known for being quiet, quaint, and affordable, Yuba City is currently ranked number seven out of 201 on the Milken Institute's best performing small cities. Has anything really changed in the last year or two? They cleaned it up. They've stopped the panhandling. They've controlled the, you know, helping with the homeless situation that we had here. And then they brought in better businesses. Elizabeth Sultan grew up in Yuba City and moved back for a pretty good reason. Well, actually for a job. The city has seen its shares of ups and downs, even made one list they weren't too happy about. When I was in high school, we were voted number 329. So the worst place in the nation, the right? McNally, the Ram McNally uh, to live. So, so from coming from that to then in the top 10, that's amazing. It's very impressive. And growing with sweet opportunities for more business owners. It'll be like a kid in a candy store. In Yuba City, Dana Griffin, KCRA 3 News. When I got shipped off to a year-long tour in Korea back in 1990, I was given a chance to tell the Air Force which bases I wanted to go to after my tour was over. Korea was considered a remote assignment, meaning you couldn't take your families, and the facilities were austere by Air Force standards. Get into the Marines! 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was tough on us. We didn't even have a Burger King on base. That kind of austere. So when you ship back stateside after a place like that, you had a better chance of getting your assignment of choice. I listed five bases all in California because, you know, California. I really wanted Vandenberg because it was by the ocean and it launched missiles, which sounded really fucking cool. Instead, uh, I was sent to Beale. Located in the Central Valley of California, nestled against the Sierra Nevada about an hour north of Sacramento, Beale was, well, let me put it charitably, it was halfway between everywhere you might actually want to be. Total honesty, I actually enjoyed my time there. I spent seven years there and generally had a great time. But Beale did not offer a lot of excitement. Marysville, the closest town to the base, was small and had some cool bars, and Yuba City, the slightly larger neighboring small city, was, to put it mildly at the time, It's a shithole. It was a highway town on the way to anywhere. Better than, say, Lodi, but not even as interesting as Fresno. Why am I talking about Yuba City, California for this, what is ostensibly the opener to the spooktacular for 2020? Because, pod friends, in the seven years I lived there, including four years in actual Yuba City, there was a mystery, a worldwide mystery, that perplexed everyone. Why are you living here? No, not that one. I mean, yes, but, but no, not that one specifically. There was a mysterious disappearance and no answers to be found, and no one ever fucking mentioned it. It is literally the only exciting thing to ever happen in Yuba City, and no one said a goddamn thing. So, for this October, we open the spooktacular with the disappearance of the Yuba City Five. <laughs> Now, I gotta talk to you for a minute about winter in Northern California. The Central Valley in winter is cool and wet, it rains a lot, but in seven years living there, I never once saw a snowflake in the valley. But drive 30 minutes up the slopes into the hills, and you could be in a full-on blizzard. Everyone who lives there has a set of chains in their car if they even think of going uphill. In the valley, however, winters are cool, clammy, and gray. That was an exciting 40 seconds. The reason I say that is because this story begins in February 1978. Five men left from Yuba City heading up to Chico, a college town about 40 miles away, for a basketball game. Like I said, that was a lot was happening in Yuba City, and I assume even less so in 1978. Each of the five men were mildly mentally disabled. Bill Sterling, 29, Jack Hewitt, 24, Ted Weir, 32, Jack Madruga, 30, finally Gary Mathias, 25. And they would never return. I will be quoting extensively from the Sacramento Bee. Yes, that's the actual name of the newspaper in Sacramento. In a 2019 story on this disappearance, quote, Of course, Jack Madruga, Ted Weir, Bill Sterling, and Jack Hewitt would have spent their last Friday night together. The four young men had been friends for years since meeting through a gateway project, a now-defunct Yuba City organization for adults with special needs. One was rarely found without another by his side. They were inseparable. They would pal around together, go together. They were described as kind of the studs of their community. You know, the special needs folks, Beecham said. They were athletic, very well-liked, and law enforcement had no issues with them. They were nice kids and nice people, unquote. Continuing from the SACB, quote, Madruga worked as a dishwasher at a fried fruit company, Sunsweet Growers, and helped Sterling land a job there 
though he was later fired for being unable to use new dishwashing equipment. Weir loved making new friends, but lacked basic common sense, his brother Dallas said in an interview with The V. He once spent $100 on pencils for no particular reason, and would question instructions as simple as stopping at a stop sign. Sterling had worked at Beale Air Force Base as a dishwasher in the early 1970s, but his mother made him quit after discovering airmen routinely got him drunk to steal his money, she told investigators. Yeah, I can see that. Hewitt was the most severely handicapped of the five, his father told investigators. He couldn't read, write, or dial a telephone, and depended highly on his mother and Weir. Now, Matthias was different. He'd been a singer in a local band and played football at Marysville High School in the late 1960s. Circumstances in the late 1960s and early 70s eventually took him down another path, unquote. The boys, as they were universally known by everyone who knew them, were considered best friends, and yes, they had some developmental issues, but with the exception of Hewitt, they were all functional adults, able to drive, hold down jobs, and generally live fairly normally. They're just what my grandmother would call a little slow. Again, except for Matthias. He wasn't slow. He was a diagnosed schizophrenic when he was discharged from the Army in, in the mid-1970s. That sounds rather ominous. Oh, it, it gets ominous-er. Matthias had been committed into mental health facilities on and off for years, beginning at the age of 16. He joined the Army. He what? Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to understand, in the years after Vietnam, the military in general and the Army in particular... I wasn't that picky about the people that they enlisted. A lot of interesting people served in the armies in the 70s and 80s post-draft. People like, you know, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Oh, and a cat by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer. And these weren't like PTS combat vets or anything. They were like supply clerks and radio operators. What is up with that? Oh, people just looking for a place to fit in. I mean, not everyone who joined the military is a murderer in waiting. Just some of them. Anyway... Matthias was discharged from the army in 1973 because of his mental illness and prolific use of drugs. Jesus Christ. Well, it was the 70s. What were you going to do? Everybody was doing a little acid here and there, but Matthias did more than a little acid. He did a shitload of acid. Oh, and math. After the army, Matthias was arrested several times for drugs, violent outbursts, and punching a cop. He groped some women, creeped out his family, and was generally said to be, uh, well, troubled would be, would be a word they used, but... It's clear that that was kind of an understatement. But you know what? Gary got into therapy. He got on his meds, and he stayed on his meds, according to his parents. Though, again, several non-parental sources implied or outright said that maybe he wasn't doing as well as his parents were saying, but by and large, he was considered to be a success case by the VA doctors, which you have to keep in mind during the 1970s were not the top of their medical school classes, not even the medical schools in Grenada where most of them attended. Now, we come to the night of February 24th, 1978. The boys left Yuba City heading 40 miles north to Chico, presumably on Highway 99. I know this because I've made that trip many, many times because of California State Chico, considered in the 1990s to be one of the top party schools in America. It was dubbed the number one party school in America in 1987 by Playboy magazine, and it was a well-deserved award. I'm not talking about some drunken kegger of free-for-all orgy. No, Chico partied all the time. And man, did I get laid. <laughs> That's got nothing to do with the story of the Yuba City Five. I, I just wanted you to know that. 
The boys probably didn't go for the partying, but rather for the aforementioned basketball game. They too played basketball and were actually part of a Special Olympics basketball team and were scheduled to play in a tournament themselves the following day. Just before 10 p.m., they stopped at a convenience store, purchased snacks for their trip home. The clerk recalled them clearly because, like any clerk ever, they were annoyed that the boys showed up right at closing time. Everybody that comes in here is way too uptight. This job would be great if it wasn't for the fucking customers. And they all climbed back into Madruga's blue and white Mercury Man Montego and... were never seen alive again. Or then again, maybe they were as we'll see. And by early the following morning, the parents of the missing boys were already concerned. By sunrise, they were freaking out. These were not the kind of dudes that went up to Chico looking for a little booze and sex with college girls and got left behind by their buddies and have to spend a hundred fucking bucks for a cab to take them home the next day. Thanks a lot, Scott, you fucker. Sorry, again, that too was irrelevant. No, these were the kind of young gentlemen who came home on time and sober. I mean, according to the B, they were going to meet Sally Struthers the following day. And in 1978, you did not miss out on meeting Gloria from All in the Family. Those were the days. After calling around to the other parents, they contacted the Yuba City Sheriff's Office who began looking for the boys. Four days later, a U.S. Forestry Service worker found the Mercury abandoned off a logging road well above the snow line in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, miles off the road from Chico to Yuba City. Highway 99 is a straight and level two and four lane blacktop and there was no reason for the car to be well up into the mountains so far off of it. And things would only get stranger from here. It was raining hard on the night of February 24th, the night the five disappeared, and if it was raining hard in the valley, that meant it was a blizzard in the mountains. Everyone who spent more than one winter in Yuba City knew this. You did not head up into the hills in the middle of the night into a blizzard without a fucking good reason, and none of the five had one. None of them were the outdoorsy type that didn't camp, and even if they did, they sure as hell weren't going to the backwoods in the teeth of the storm. Nor was Madruga familiar with the area, nor was anyone else, according to their families, and Madruga certainly wasn't familiar with the back roads of Plumas County. Yet when the car was found with a quarter tank of gas and in running condition, there weren't the kind of scrapes and damage one would normally find from a driver on rough roads in bad weather unfamiliar with the terrain. Even the people who were searching for them, their vehicles had the kind of minor, that kind of minor damage from traversing them in daylight. And this car was driven up in the middle of the night and the, what was probably whiteout conditions and didn't have a scratch. All right, this is just getting downright spooky. And it goes without saying, there was no sign of any of the five men who were supposed to be in the car. The remains of their snacks purchased in Chico were in the car, but the boys were not. But there were leads for investigators. Again, from the B, quote, Investigators spent more than three months sifting through snow, chasing dozens of false leads. They consulted a psychic who told them she saw bodies in green canvas bags, the same color of bags used to retrieve the boys' bodies. A body witcher was brought in. And his magic rod, I'm still quoting from the B at this point, I'd like to point that out, pointed them to an empty cabin, but no clues. A man who told investigators he had been in the woods scouting a campsite claimed to have seen six or seven shadowy figures near the snow line the night the boys went missing, but he had suffered a heart attack at the time and admitted to having hallucinations, unquote. We gotta talk about this guy who told the investigators this. Joseph Sons. 
He told them that he thought he saw the missing men on the night they disappeared, and his story is fucking wild. According to Sean's, his car had gotten snuck in the snow a few miles from where the car, the boy's car was found abandoned. He said he experienced a mild heart attack while trying to dig his car out, so he waited in his car with a heater running because, you know, what the fuck else was he going to do? No cell phones, remember? Six hours into his long-ass night and in extreme pain from the said heart attack, he saw headlights from a red pickup truck in the snow behind him. A group of people gathered around the headlights, several men and a woman with a baby. He got out of his car and tried to flag them down, calling out for help, but the group ignored him, turned out their headlights, and eventually went up the road, leaving him stranded in his car, where the following mornings, after his chest pain subsided, he walked eight miles down the mountain in the snow, passing the blue Mercury Montego along the way. Dude, that was so badass. Sean would later say he was pretty out of it because of the pain, so he couldn't be specific as to exactly the time which this happened. Now, that red pickup truck would return an account from a store clerk in Brownsville, a small town up in the mountains about 30 miles from where the car was found. Weeks later, in March... A clerk would tell the police she saw Hewitt and Sterling with the aforementioned pickup truck two days after they were supposed to have disappeared using the payphone outside the store. The store manager corroborated the story, recalling that the men appeared to be Hewitt and Weir that day purchased burritos, soft drinks, and chocolate milk from the store. Both witnesses recognized the men from the missing posters circulated after their disappearances and were considered credible by the police. So... We have the car. We have credible sightings of at least some of the missing men well off their path from home. We have families who are adamant these are not the kind of people who would just take off on a fucking adventure like a hobbit influenced by a disreputable wizard and a pack of itinerant dwarves. My God, you are such a nerd. And we're left with the question, where the hell are the Yuba County Five? Are you dead? Well, as a matter of fact, they were. More from the Sacramento Bee, quote, on June 4th, a small group of motorcyclists out for a Sunday ride came upon a foul-smelling U.S. Forest Service work site near the Daniel Zink campground about three miles southwest of Bucks Lake and 19 and a half miles from Madruga's abandoned Montego. Now a nondescript patch of forest, the site held a 60-foot trailer with a broken window someone had shattered to gain access. Recovery team spent half a day clearing five huge trees from the roadway before reaching the trailer. Among its noteworthy contents, empty cans of food, extra clothing, wood furniture, paperback books, and Ted Weir's body. Weir was found under eight layers of sheets on a bed inside the trailer, dead from apparent blood poisoning and gangrene, and as well as five toes lost to frostbite. Forensic analysis of his beard growth indicated he survived four to six weeks after going missing, during which time he shed 80 to 100 pounds from his 5'11", 200-pound frame. But then it got really weird. The Forest Service trailer where Weir's body was found was full of food. Well, a shed next to it was, anyway. There were things to start a fire, and hell, there was a propane tank that could heat the trailer if someone had just turned it on, which they had not. 
Someone, however, had eaten some of the military rations stored on the site. Open them up with a P-38 can opener, a military can opener, which Madruga and Matthias, both veterans, would have been intimately familiar with. But the other boys probably would not have known how to use. They are a little tricky. There was more than enough food on site for the five men to survive on for over a year. And Matthias's sneakers were found at the trailers, but Weir's leather shoes, better for snow tromping, were missing, and Weir had been carefully wrapped in sheets almost like it was a burial shroud. Continuing from the story of the bee, Madruga and Sterling were found two days later and eight miles closer to the car on opposite sides of a mountain road leading to the trailer. There was nothing left of Sterling but bones scattered across the forest floor. Madruga's body had been picked apart by animals and dragged to a nearby stream, car keys still in his pants pocket. The Yuba County coroner identified Madruga's cause of death by, as hypothermia and exposure, but couldn't determine what had happened to Sterling, unquote. Finally, Hewitt's body was discovered by his father, who begged investigators to let him help search, knowing full well he might be the one to find his son's body, which he did, sort of, finding his son's spine wrapped in his shirt. Dude, cross! I know! His skull and teeth were found a short ways away, leaving only Gary Mathias unaccounted for. So where is he? Well, the Sacramento Bee leaves this portion of the story with this. Quote, All that was left to do was to find Matthias's body. But after two weeks and with little progress made, investigators called off the search on June 19, 1978, leaving his emotionally battered family without the closure they craved. Unquote. So, to explain, no, there's too much. Let me sum up. If five guys, all healthy, able-bodied, maybe not the sort of fellows who excelled at solving the logic problems on the SAT, but certainly not incapable of making rational decisions, they disappear on a straight-shot drive, and their car is found miles away in a deep forest on a logging road that no one in the car had reason to know about. The car they were in, and possibly the boys themselves, were spotted by a witness on the night of their presumed disappearance in the company of a woman with the baby and perhaps other men. Some reports had the mysterious woman with the baby in a red dress, which has no evidentiary value, but it is kind of a spooky detail. This group of people ignores his cries for help when he tries to flag them down. And then later, perhaps two or three of the missing men were seen two days after their presumed disappearance buying burritos at a store some 30 miles from where the car was found. And then months later, four of the five are found dead in a remote trailer and in remote woods with enough food and supplies to last them a year. The fifth man, Matthias, with a violent history and diagnosed schizophrenia, was nowhere to be found and is considered missing and maybe dead. So what the fuck happened to these dudes? Oh, you're supposed to tell us. And that's exactly what I plan on doing in part two of Play Me Some Mountain Madness, the Yuba City 5 part two. Same pod time, same pod channel as the 2020 spooktacular continues. That is it for the show this week. Well, you thought I was just going to wrap up this bad boy in one show? I haven't even finished reading the other article yet. I mean, I haven't even dug into the conspiracy theories. Seven years I lived there. 
less than 20 years after it happened, and I never hear about the story. Do you know how fucking boring Yuba City was? A good story like this at least would have given me something to think about while I was watching fucking cows graze on Beale Air Force Base. <sighs> I did love the part about the airman getting the kid drunk and stealing his money, which was totally fucked up and you shouldn't do that. But I could totally see people doing that. Speaking of totally fucked up, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods. It helps others find the show, listen to it, and think, oh, I was totally fucked up for you to do that, recommending it like that. Follow the show on the social media at the Hell underscore podcast on Twitter, the What the Hell podcast on Facebook, and we po will post snippets about the tidbits of the stories we are working on on those two places all month long. Head on over to patreon.com slash what the hell podcast where we put up at least one additional patron-only show this month if Gavin gets off his ass and finally records it. No matter what, you always get the show early and ad-free if you donate at least a dollar and all the cool swag you can get for just a few dollars more. All of our shows, including every spooktacular we've ever done, and I think this month is going to be our best at whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave totally got laid in Chico Bledsoe. Never go above the snow line in winter, Gavin. And all the fictional Special Olympics basketball teammates on this show, we want to say, if you play me some mountain music, please don't leave our corpses in the forest service trailer for our parents to find. That's totally gross, okay? Thanks. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.